Under the Bar podcast, coming from the new studios, mm. which we haven't yet given a name to, but um, we'll uh, we'll get around to that at some stage. Now we've got a really big episode coming up. We've got we Dieter Roylance mm. from Energy Four, famous for his uh, coaching of of the Wolverine. Yeah, Hugh Jackman and uh, Dieter will have some great. Uh, well, he'll have a couple of stories about Hugh Jackman and what kind of went into his training. But also more broadly about his work with Olympic athletes yep. through the spectrum of general population alike. Dieter has been in the industry just getting stuff done at a high level for a yeah. long time. Lurking behind the scenes. Yet a lot of people of our listeners out there might not have heard that much about him. So I think it's um, a meeting of uh, our listeners with someone who practices a lot of sound coaching principles. Mm. Which we've all learnt from uh, from uh, the great Charles Poliquin, yeah. Rawdon, and a uh, very interesting period of time. Quite, I haven't been on social media since last Friday, but yeah. when I did go on, the first thing I saw was a post from Andre Benoit, and he, he doesn't post very he, much. He doesn't post ever, yeah. And I was reading, I was like, is this, what is this? Is this yeah. serious? And then I Googled, and yeah. sure enough, Charles Poliquin had died, aged uh, 57. 57, yeah. Um, yeah, man, it's it's came out of uh i think that's the biggest thing it's uh because he's he's known for being such a an iconic picture of health you know like we all sort mm. of uh i think the thought was he would legitimately live on forever yeah. you know he'd be this guy that would be uh you know outlive the rest of us and still be looking like he's uh, 50 for the rest of his life you mm. know looking uh jacked and and you know doing the things that he does at the age he does you know obviously it's uh for our listeners would would probably know that quite a bit of turmoil in the the Poliquin camp uh, you know over the last sort of five or six years and and the divide uh, the Poliquin and the, the development of the strength sensei and then the Charles having to um, get the plane tickets back out and uh, get the the lecturing cap back on and, and get amongst it and, and and really drive the new strength sensei brand and and um, you know, create a uh, a brand that's worthy of uh, you know the Polican brand that, yeah. that that stood at the time. So, what can you say? It is what it is, and it's uh, it's unfortunate. I don't think there's any details of of come out actually to actually what happened. The, the no. rumors that it was a heart attack, and from memory, you know, I do recall some saying that it was something that uh, you know I think he had had issues early on in his uh, in his life, uh, yeah. and there might be some hereditary. Thing going on there, I don't really know, so I don't really want to speculate, speculate today. But mm. um, but yeah, I think it uh, shocked, um, you know, and and social like we obviously have squillions of uh, friends in common and a lot of uh, colleagues of Poliquin uh, influence coaches. His influence is so widespread. It's uh, I, I don't really think of anyone else in the industry if they were to uh, part this world that would have such a, a profound impact on the industry. His 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 absence i guess mm. so um it's it's really a a strange feeling and and you know our listeners i mean i don't want to talk about the the friendship that i had with him but but obviously um uh for our listeners will probably recall that over the over the years i have mentioned that uh he was very kind to me and i did have uh you know i'd consider him a friend and would often message him and 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 talk to him and i actually saw him over christmas and uh, he was he, he was great. Went out for uh, pizza of all things after we, you know, spent the day shooting uh, his various uh, armory of, uh, of weapons at uh, yeah. another good friend Zach's uh, Zach's place in Colorado. So uh, fighting fit then. So I think it really was something that just came out of the blue. Um, it, was, it was opening the mm. the big center in Colorado, and uh, or has opened the big center in Colorado. So I'm um, interested to see what. Uh, what comes with the the strength sensei brand and um yeah everything else that was was planned uh, in the near future for the strength sensei it yeah it's, it's an interesting time um you know i think you what was your first exposure with uh with charles did you do biosig in toronto or something yes back so in the day i did it was a biosig in toronto yeah, yeah that, that was the first exposure and um, what was your first impression of uh Yes, I, mine was also overseas. I flew over yeah. to the, the, you know, I uh, was given instructions to fly over, and uh, so rushed over last minute and did a, did a buy signature as well. It was my first experience, and um, yeah. And what, and what was what was yours? What was your first impressions? Well, look, um, if I could generalise as to what that first impression probably had me come away with was that there was actually uh, a sense of magic about working in the yeah. industry. You know, 
with time, there are things that he's obviously spoken about that I might sort of scratch my head a little bit mm. these days. But mm. at that point, I was quite taken by his his presence mm. and this sense that you know you could really do some incredible things with nutrition and with yeah. supplementation yeah, and, and, and and how that could work. And then I think over the years we experience different things and you come up with your own set of tools and what, yeah. what works and what doesn't. But what what I definitely would say is that. Um, from a training perspective yeah. there's uh, he instilled a sense of magic about training which yeah. is still exists to this day yeah. and and i think the that uh, he ignited my passion for relative strength slash mm. functional mm. hypertrophy training which and you still push to this day which i still that, push you know which i still push your bread and butter and that the thing about those workouts is that it's not uh you don't just rock up to the gym and do it it's not like a straight hypertrophy workout where you survive it or you endure it mm. you know those workouts are to be won Mm. with strategy mm. and, and that if you preparation if preparation. psychological preparation and and with strategic manipulation of either rep schemes or intensities mm. with these big compound lifts you can trick the nervous system mm. into mm. quite impressive albeit momentary Performance. elevations in performance yeah and that has been something once i started to play with that mm. inspired me and i think is one of the reasons why i've had long-term clients mm because it's not just about training it's about talking to them about how to win the workout and, mm. and what they'll experience with this manipulation of rep schemes and how that will facilitate performance and they experience it and it's it's something kind of special in that moment yeah. and um that's certainly probably the biggest thing that i would take away from my time with with yeah. charles was that that sense of manipulating the nervous system with different intensities yeah well, i remember uh, back in the day i um i started working uh like through uh, clean health with Dan, I was the, the the first, the first I guess uh, of, of the rest of us that mm. uh, that started with Dane and um, and then I uh, I booked in to do um, uh, PICP one and two over in Perth and uh, Derek uh, Derek Woodski actually it was his first course that he was uh, was coaching but yeah but I got the um, I guess I guess for me it was. Uh, and the original reason why I was attracted to um, Dane is he was obviously everyone knows he was a Poliquin um, influence coach and had done a lot of Poliquin's uh, courses. It was for me putting method to the madness. You know, it it, it had a rational uh, program design. It had uh, you know all of a sudden the the, the speed that you uh, lifted a you know the weight. You know that had had uh, a value attributed to it, and mm. the, you could manipulate that for different training effects and and. and specific rest periods and and a sequence of putting exercises together and it was uh i guess like i said that just putting some uh logic to programming and the, and the whole the big picture type stuff and then nutrition also took on that um that rational thought and everything was had a design and an intended purpose so for me yeah i was i booked in and i pricp back then was was a brutal you know, much longer than what yeah. it was these days. I think it was five days for level one, and then level two was I think three days. So it was eight, like over a week long of twice a day training, and you had to, you know, fill it. You had to complete this uh, pre course, uh, and you had to, you know, ninety percent plus as you fail, and you had, you got these uh, work, these manuals for PRCP one and two. So flicking through there and all these pitches and mm. and rules and uh, you know. Um, so for me, yeah, it was it was just a, such an amazing experience. I flew over, did this in Perth, and that was when uh, I was at Shredded uh, with Kelly and Marty. I think the gym had just been open, so we were in there, and just the the, the team environment and uh, immersing myself in that, it just it felt you know such a, an amazing experience. And then obviously from then, the, the, obviously the bike signature is something that I still do to this day, and. And uh, then I remember we all went back over. So I flew over to the UK, met him, did the, you know, it was in, much like yourself, mesmerized by the, you know, this, this, this character and this entity that was Charles. And, mm. and I, uh, to the point where I actually paid a, a, a thousand pounds for, for an hour consult. <laughs> <laughs> Come so in, paid, spinner. Paid a thousand pounds, but you know it was it was it was money well spent. You know it was one on one time with Charles, you know yeah. someone that uh, I'd been introduced to, you know twelve months earlier, and and did the uh, everything else that happened. So, and from then we sort of developed a, a bit of a, a, a friendship and a and somewhat of a relationship, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners had as well. Mm. Um, there were many that he he did sort of um, uh, take a friendship to, but I remember we all. You know the whole the clean health crew. We went to uh, Perth, and there were various other coaches uh, from uh, all over the you know Sydney and, and uh, I think South Australia and Queensland came down. 
and uh, it was at this stadium and it was hot beautiful perth weather and we're all sort of training you know in the afternoons and we'll go and we'll, everyone will be there and i remember charles um you know we're all out in the in the sunshine he was laying back shirt off you know you know ripped that abs outline <laughs> there pair of shorts on in the sun in between in the breaks and we'd, of course we would break every you know i think what was it five minutes on 20 minutes yeah. off so we retain all the information but we're in and out in the sun it was just such an amazing uh biosign it says we went over and did biosign yeah. and again it was a long five-day biosign then so for the whole week we were there and that was such an amazing i think our listeners that do recall that mm. would be reminiscing and uh such a such a yeah it's just such a good time it just was, imagine him just yeah lying. dude what about how slow we, remember a couple of times yeah. we, we walked uh i think we had lunch once and we were walking up uh druitt street <laughs> yeah, in, in so sydney slow. and he was so slow uh, yeah <laughs> just just what he just the way he was bro but even back then he's always been like that yeah. But, um, yeah, what about you know? that time? Um, uh, <laughs> it was a bio sig, or maybe it was when he was doing the um, advanced programming course. Oh at, yeah, at, yeah, at Clean up, Health up, upstairs, upstairs. And um, at that stage in the gym, we had a whiteboard where if you left any equipment out or anything, you'd, you had your name put up on the Is <laughs> this with Jordo? Jordo, yeah. <laughs> and um, Charles had left, oh, I don't know, he might have left the uh, some sort of tricep bar or something, mm. wasn't put back in the perfect spot. And it was still on the cable still, or something. Yeah, yeah, and um, Jordo wrote <laughs> Charles Pollockin up on the up on the board and oh, he, he, he came over and he got Jordo, one of those pressure points on Jordo's ear and just fucking <laughs> really scared. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. He did, it wasn't funny. No. Like he didn't appreciate it. No. <laughs> no, no, it didn't. Uh, it was that was uh, it was quite comical now to look look back. Yeah, but he was who he was, and uh, you know, always did what uh, what he wanted to do. But um, yeah, like uh, it's. Yeah. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be the coach I am today without my influence of of Charles, and mm. I, I know I personally will will miss out. You know, times that we spent together, and yeah. uh, you know, I'll think fondly back on those times. But um, yeah, man, it's. Um, well, it's the, it it's, it's the end of an era, and uh, I just hope that um, the nature of his early death doesn't yeah, isn't used to tarnish the reputation that he had yeah. and, and some of those nutritional principles like protein, fats, breakfast yeah. is, is something that I still do today. It works yeah, really well for me. It's Likewise, I often use that. Yeah. And, and you know, like a general rule of thumb, like yeah, avoid carbs. Earn your carbs. Earn your carbs. It's carbs, like yeah. for... For society as a, as a greater whole, it's, mm. a, it's a practice that it would invariably, you know, radically improve the, the health of 99% mm. of the population. So, yeah, okay, you know, you'd have uh, reasons for having carbohydrates, but as a general rule of thumb, I mean, you got to remember these, these these recommendations are like broad gen pop type recommendations. Yeah. So I was always exceptions to the rule. But, yes. But yeah, I think uh, I agree, and 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 I'm sure there's going to be people that say that the haters are going to jump on, mm. and it's like, well, you know, it was because of this, because of that. Um, again, let's just let it be and 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 see what uh, you know what the actual reasons were. But mm. but that said, you know, like I I do agree that the the, the bulk of what he preached, and certainly every, I think everyone agrees that his training. Uh, knowledge and it was yes. ahead of the game and and even if they, they you didn't agree with his nutritional practices or, or, or supplementation protocols they're all like oh yeah but his programming so yeah like second yeah. to none and so i think um you know it, the, the industry is a far far better place having his influence and it will never be the same mm-hmm. again um for it so uh you know pretty decent legacy to leave behind you i guess yeah well, we'll go to uh, Dita Roylance yep. from Energy 4 Training down there in Melbourne. First time, my first exposure to Dita was actually at a BioSig yes. in Sydney. He was Mine pres- too, yeah. My, he was I think he was also, um, he was he was uh, sort of overseeing the, the actual technique for the BioSig yes. primarily. Yep. I think it was mainly Charles and Andre yep. that were presenting. And um, I remember that one also, shout out to Sopa. Remember Sopa came, that was his first one. That was his a- first one, a- yeah. And we're all Brad sort of Soper. Yeah. nudge, nudge, winch, wink, oh, lose this guy from Dubbo you know because he's for our listeners that do know soaps he's reasonably jacked and we are oh, this guy and uh thinking he was uh, juiced off his head but uh he was yeah to this day still a natural athlete he's yeah. just uh good at what he does but uh that's when I first met Soper as well mm. uh, awesome dude too uh Dita Roiland's coming your way Looking forward to speaking to our next guest, Rawdon, and uh, just talking off the air there, he's gone to the effort of making some notes 
to the email that we sent uh -huh. through and everything else. Whenever that happens, we know guaranteed that we're probably not going to cover anything that's been put down yeah. in those notes. We'll, we'll go sideways. Yeah. We'll throw them a curveball. <laughs> well, just like um, Tangleswood back in the day. But the first time I heard about Dita Roylance, who we'll talk to shortly, was actually from Andre Benoit. Mm. And I forget at what stage in, in that relationship it was, but he said, you know, if there's if you want to learn programming from someone in Australia, uh -huh. Dita Roylance down in Melbourne. Yeah. And yeah. Um, at that point, I hadn't heard of Dita. Yeah. Uh, and he, he often gets a shout out uh, when 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 Pollock and Charles, yes. when he goes, ah, oh, these are my, the best trainers on the on in the universe. Yeah, these are my top ten, and then Dita's in there as well. So it flies under the radar a little. Yeah, and I got on and Googled, and there wasn't a huge amount there either. He's he's one of these guys that actually, rather than promoting what he's been doing, he's actually just getting results, getting results <laughs> and training Hugh Jackman and oh, celebrities and Olymp Olympians and all that kind of stuff. So actually doing what a strength and conditioning coach should sh do. should be doing. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I actually met uh, just before we. Uh, you, you can talk in a second, Dita. I actually met <laughs> him cool, when we did. Uh, uh, Biosig back in this year. You did that one, didn't you? Up at uh, the Hilton with Charles back in the day. And uh, Dita was swanning about um, yes. teaching all the... I all do the, remember the, that. Yeah, yes. with uh, Ryan and, and, and Woodski. All, all, and Andre was there too. Yeah. It was the whole crew. Um, that's when I first uh, met you back mm, then, Dita. Very interesting. Um, Dita, thanks for your time, mate. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, boys. Nice to be on. Where, where are we going to go, Tommy? Well, what I'm interested in, and we can talk about Dita's new setup and everything, but um, training this high-performance individual. You've got mm. athletes and you've got celebrities, and they're obviously very divergent goals, but there mm. must be some qualities that they both have as, as you know, extremely driven people, and this combination that Dita's built with working with these exclusive demographics intrigues me. Dita, how did you um, get started in the industry and then work your way to that point where you're working with such high-profile people? So I did a lot of sport as a, as a kid and was highly, you know, into that. Uh, my parents wanted me to do engineering and uh, IT and I thought I'd be the typical teenage brat and go and do exercise science <laughs> and uh, worked out very quickly that uh, my physics background wasn't going to do much in the sport world as there was not too many biomechanists around at that time. So I went into training and uh, started training and training different people and worked at uh, Melbourne Tigers Basketball Club actually for a little while when I was quite younger and had a bit of a more intro into professional sport there. And then... Um, from there, I opened up my own studio in 2000 and have had, uh, had that for 16 years and then through that time was introduced to elite sport and I got uh, a young kid of 17 years old, not ranked uh, nationally in swimming and thought this kid's got some potential and started developing him both uh, physically and mentally and through the sport of swimming and that's sort of how I started up. Um, Matt went on to two Olympics, three world championships and com games, um, pretty much medaled at every one of them. And yeah, and then from there, you know, my background was sort of rehab, which then changed, changed into performance because I could keep people from not being injured and uh, then uh, they would go through that way. So. That's sort of how I started, and um, absolutely fascinating. And how did the the uh, the Hugh Jackman how, how did this sort of uh, evolve? Was that uh, something deliberate, or it was just by chance? And then you got involved coaching, um, you know, the Wolverine. What what happened there, mate? Yeah, so with uh, Hugh, it was um, through Matt Target. So he. Uh, he introduced him and I did some testing for Hugh in regards to um, food intolerances, but he also had a, an injury which I rehabbed along the way. And then mm. when he was in Australia, we started working full time and I did you know, a two week stint with him and helped him lose a whole lot of uh, body fat very quickly um, while he was here. And then he came back to do his arena show and I was working with him twice a day, six days a week. Cool. Um, in between that, he would go and do his singing and rehearsal for his, uh, I think it was 16 shows across Australia. And then I started traveling with him full time in, oh geez, 2016 now. So hmm. that was uh, on a press tour for Eddie the Eagle. Right. When you unpack it like that, you can see the similarity between an elite athlete. Obviously, with Hugh doing the, uh, <laughs> the, the live show, it's basically 
that was his uh, skills and team practice. Mm-hmm. And then he was coming to see you twice a day for the resistance training side of things. Mm. Yeah, the, the funny thing was that uh, I was actually invited to a few rehearsals and actually my daughter and I were lucky enough to go to a rehearsal at one of the theatres in Melbourne where he was just rehearsing. And I went along and watched and he he loves to train hard and he loves to train heavy and he loves to be in pain. Uh, but when I went and watched him, I'm like, okay, you don't have quite the the pop and the jumping of these young 21-year-old dancers you've got around you. Mm. So I figured, well, hang on a minute. Um, let's change your training up. Um, you are technically an athlete as a dancer. Yeah. So let's change your um, training up a little bit and gave him a whole lot more spring and bounce to his steps. He's a little bit heavy on his feet. So that was uh, quite interesting and quite eye-opening. And that's one of the things I probably recognize for that I get right involved in whatever the person's doing. So whether it's, you know, his dancing and getting to watch his rehearsals or, you know, I've had my my Olympic snowboarder take me snowboarding. So I learned how to snowboard to get a feel of what he was doing. And, uh, you know, could never realize why Cam couldn't squat without such a uh, straight shin, vertical shin, mm. until you lock yourself into a snowboard and snow boots and your yeah. shin does, doesn't move, then you go, okay, now I understand. Very so cool. that's, that's kind of the part that, you know, I'm probably a little bit different because I don't just stay in the gym. I like to get out of the gym and see what they're doing. I think one of the, the things there as well, Dieter, is um, apart from getting an understanding for their sport or their activity, it makes you aware of energy requirements and and how much recovery they might need and how hard you can actually train them in the gym yeah for sure it's like if you don't if you don't go and see what they actually do you really have no idea i can you know anyone any old trainer or coach can smash someone but Mm. making them ready for what they need to do is that's where the science and the art of it becomes tell me Dieter. it sounds like the the hugh jackman thing you sort of stumbled upon you know, you went to the performance and saw, well, you know, he's a little heavy on his feet. And then you sort of uh, th- thought laterally and then applied it to his training and, and, and changed that side of things. And it sounds like something that you've adopted since do you, if you get a, a an athlete from a sport that you don't have, uh, you know, experience with, do, do you immerse yourself in that sport or, or go watch them play? Or do you, you make that part of that uh, original or that initial uh, assessing technique? Yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those things that you need to decide what's best for them. All you know, yeah. you guys know that all clients have their own set ideas of what they want to do, and you know, Hugh was no different. He just wanted to train hard and and be in, not injured, but uh, in pain all the time. And he thought that was brilliant. Whereas I had a different view. I said, "Well, you're a performer. You need to be able to perform. If I, you have extreme amount of DOMS in your legs, it's yeah. not going to look too good when you're on stage." So you have to, it becomes that education process where you say, okay, well, I love what you're doing. I love your, love your attitude and enthusiasm to work, but, you know, really what, what is the ideal outcome for the clients? So that's where I probably take my point of view a little bit differently and it's why I immerse myself in what they do. Hmm. Yeah, very cool. I can see how the prehab, rehab side of things progressed into um, actual performance data because, uh, and I'm sure you'll have a better understanding of this than I do, but I I would say pretty much every professional or elite athlete out there is walking around with niggles, if not some sort of pretty significant injury. So if if at the very least you can take pain away and and just enable them to do what they naturally do better, then that's half the battle won. Yeah, my, my my principles are basically if they can't train, they can't perform. So, you know, number one priority is always to make sure that they're um, in a pain-free range of motion. They can come to training and they can go to their sports-specific training or they can go to their dance rehearsal. Um, it's no point not understanding how the body works and then putting them in and going, okay, well, I'm going to do this set of deadlifts for you. And then, you know, it injures their back and they're not, they're not able to do what they actually are paid to do. You know, yeah. that's, that's mm. the priority. They have to be able to work or perform or play to be able to get paid. So if you yeah. miss that major point, um, you know, I'm just a small piece in the cog, but uh, that's vital for their, you know, work. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, Rawdon, what do you reckon? Should we start to dig a little deeper into yeah, let's, the, the periodization side of things? Yeah, let, let's get into it. Let's get amongst it. So when you've got an athlete, Dita, how do you set up that big picture plan if obviously you, you will have a specific outcome or a date that you're working to, but where does the periodization start on the, the pen and pad in front of you? Periodization always starts at the end. Yeah. So the end goal is always what we work um, backwards from. So, you know, whether it's uh, Olympic trials and then Olympics, so there's two big major events there, especially in a sport like swimming where it's so competitive here that, uh, the, you know, five to seven swimmers can get an A qualifying time. That, so they have to be Olympic trials is just as important as the Olympics, otherwise you don't make the team. Mm, yep, um, yep. So that's, a, that's a, a different kettle of fish. And then obviously with actors and things like that, if they've got shirt off scenes, there's a day or, or a few days where their shirt's off. So that's the time that you have to have them ready. Mm, because yep. no one want, no, none of them want to look fat on screen or overweight or, you know, carrying a bit extra. And it seems to become a bit of a, a challenge between a lot of the guys now um, and a lot of banter who can look leanest these days. So it's actually... <laughs> Um, it's actually swung, I think, full circle from the days when Arnie and uh, Stallone were walking around yeah. Jack um, to some of the skinnier, you know, movie idols that seemed to have popped up in the yeah. 90s and the 2000s to, you know, some of the older guys now going, okay, well, you know, we're in our 40s and we're going to take our shirts off and look better than you young guys. So it's, it's actually a bit of a competition over in the States and on the movie screen. So. Well, well, by the looks of it, you, you, you're doing all right with Hugh so far, mate. Yeah. yeah he's, he did all right and he was uh, probably, he was the, was the biggest that he's ever been. Um, yeah. In Logan, you probably didn't notice it as much because he was in a dingy little truck stop restroom yeah. um, and beaten the hell up as part of his character he wasn't healing that well so he didn't look as good um but in apocalypse he was really big so um he was a couple of kilos bigger in apocalypse even so yeah so it's a different different thing and you know listen these guys are as focused as an elite athlete and it's you know it's impressive to work with and when you've got a you know a compliant clients and someone that's highly driven makes our job really easy Mm. Tell me, Dita, when you travel with Hugh, like, are you actually there with him? So when he's shooting those scenes, like, are you there with the, you know, pre-workout concoction and some carbs and say, all right, mate, okay, let's do a little pump up before this next scene and get him yeah. <laughs> cool. looking as full as possible? A lot of, lot of push-ups, a lot of bicep curls, boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was, uh, it was a very long day. I think from memory it was probably a 15-hour day for Logan. Um, Apocalypse was shot over two days for he had a cameo in that and so that was probably you know 30 32 hours from start to finish before we really? jetted off back to the airport so yeah it's uh, it's pretty intense There's a lot of time in between but when they're shooting a scene it's pretty pretty intense and they're trying to get it right and um, but again it's what what most people don't you know, realise and a lot of these actors have been trained by um, trainers that have sort of got more of a bodybuilding background than my, my performance side, is that if these guys can't think and they can't act, they're useless. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, it's like, a, you know, I put a, you know, my snowboarder on the start of the mountain, at the top of the mountain, if he's not thinking straight because he's tired and hungry and yeah. too water depleted, then... He's not going to perform that well. So the big thing with the actors is that you know, and a lot of the producers and directors on Logan yeah, were really surprised at my point of view because normally they just eat chicken and broccoli, and uh, and some of the food choices that Hugh had, they were quite surprised. So yeah, tell me uh, with that side of things, any uh, supplementation there to to enhance? I know you're reasonably savvy, uh, being immersed in uh, what Polygon does for many years. Uh, he being one of your mentors, are you playing around with, uh, you know, any alpha GPC or any uh, tyrosine or, or anything uh, sneaky, sneaky to uh, enhance cognitive function for these guys? Yeah, alpha GPC is always a good one. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my biggest focus is on nutrition and supplements yeah. is uh, that, that added benefit 
So if they don't have the nutrition, right, which my guys do, obviously, um, then adding those supplements is really not much benefit. Yeah. Um, I know uh, Hugh had a pretty pretty good stack, and you know the guys the guys very smart. He's very into his health, so you know these guys you know are right into it. Mm. Plus, they want to be educated. My biggest thing is to educate the client so they can tell me how they're going, yeah. so you can tell me if he's tired, but. Sleep was highly important with him and, you know, doing a movie, they have to have so many hours off before they can come back the next day. So, yeah. for example, we'd start at 6 a.m. Monday morning, but as the days progress, we might start at 1 o'clock on a Friday afternoon because they have to, they in the studio, they can go to 4 in the morning. So, right. you know, it, it's, uh, and then it becomes that balancing act on that. And then we have night shoots as well. We had two and a half weeks out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> yeah. in uh, Mississippi, shooting in the middle of a cornfield, basically, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. from sundown to sun up. So, you know, keeping a guy awake and focused, and that was when most of the fight scenes were, yeah, it's, uh, pretty intense. So, Awesome, man! It's so cool to hear all this stuff. Mm, tell me, great um, experience, yeah. yeah. Tell me, uh, do you find like with you know the, the actors like you and and you know others that you've worked with, are, are they similar? I mean, you alluded to it anyway, but are they similar mindset to elite uh, Olympians and elite athletes, where you know you tell them what to do and they're robotic and they're just going to do it? Like that that level of application is just next level. Like they, they really are. To be the best, they are. They really do have a, a like a psychological disposition to, that that allows them to be there. Yeah, it's funny you say that because what uh, what you tend to find is these guys have that predisposition that they they're focused and they're they're goal orientated. But what most people don't realize is they all have coaches. So whether it's an elite athlete or something, yeah. there's always someone there, you know, putting a foot up their butt to make sure they turn up, make sure they do their thing. Um, some are obviously better than others that you, they will jump when you say jump and they're, they're on there. But some can be lazy as hell. Yeah. You'd be surprised. It's like you got to drag the guy into the gym to perform. You know, I've worked with some of the guys and they're like, nah, don't want to come, can't be bothered. It's like, dude, you're getting paid more than enough to come in yeah. um, and you're not paying it. Someone else is paying it and they mm. still, you know, you've got to basically drag them out of their hotel room or whatever it is to get them to turn up so uh some people have that natural ability and they you know uh, probably uh utilize that to their best benefit but it's still lazy but some yeah. of the guys are really hard you know grant hackett you know he won't stop training unless i kick him out of the gym yeah um, right. so you know you have that difference of athletes but the biggest thing is, you know, all these guys have coaches and all these guys, yeah. if the, no no one really does it by themselves. This whole misconception in the fitness industry that you can do it by yourself mm. um, is a huge misconception and I know, Rorden, you, you do a lot with uh, people that are highly motivated to get on stage yeah. and yet they have people coach them. 100%, 100%. Like, I completely agree there. Um, tell me, Dieter, like with the... Like one of the things that I do, you mentioned what I do, but they if, say, for example, an athlete comes in to see me and it's like, yeah, I want to get ready for a show in 12 weeks. I'm like, well, you know, I just know how long that's going to take. You're not going to be ready in 12 weeks. So how about we choose, you know, another show at this date or, or whatever. As the coach, I would guide them with the periodization like, like you alluded to. You start from the end point and work your way back are like some of that might be three, four year plans. It's like you like that swimmer you spoke about okay raw talent okay i think you're good enough for the olympics but it's going to take you know it's going to take us x amount of progression each year these are your times now so are you looking at the performance where they are right now and then if it's like yeah i want to make the trials for the olympics and that's in 16 weeks and you're like dude you, <laughs> there's no way you're gonna these are the times for the trials that you, you just will not physically make that progression in that short of time to get that sort of progression you know, it's going to take another 12 months, so, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Are you, with your experience in, in performance coaching, also advising realistic expectations for athletes and giving them, uh, you know, those time frames that are realistic? Yeah, for sure. Um, that's probably what one of the things I'm most known for. I never tell someone what they want to hear. I tell them the, the yeah. real truth. So I've had plenty of athletes um, sort of put their head down and walk out crying. 
uh, just because they, you know, they think they've done the work. And I say, listen, you have. And I had one guy come back from college, and I saw a photo of him on Facebook one time in the January. And I said, dude, you're not training. Here's another program. Go and do it. He walks in three months later. And I said, you look like, you look terrible. I said. You're never going to get in, and here's a guy that won a silver medal a year before in the world championships individually, wow. and I think he's still swimming um, now because of it. But yeah, and he said, "Well, man, that's that's not giving me very much confidence." I said, "Well, I'm not here to give you confidence. I'm here to make sure you're ready, and you're not ready." Yeah. So that didn't go down so well, but uh, <laughs> it was the truth, and his performance proved it. So I wasn't wrong, but uh, but yeah, you, you can't. You can't overinflate someone because the letdown after that is even worse. So if I say mm. someone they're going to be ready and they're not, I'm going to get the blame for it. So mm. yeah. you know, it's it's much like you. So sometimes you have to be that hard side, yeah, realistic. So otherwise, it's, they they say you're a terrible coach, and they tell the next person, the exactly. Next person, and all mm. of a sudden, you're the worst coach in the world when really they had no no um, point being there. Yeah, and um, that that's awesome. I love that insight into into that side of things. And is that do you find you're keeping your sort of finger on the pulse of of, of you know uh, world records and, and, and national records and and uh, various um, uh, sports that you have athletes that are competing in? Do you, do you find you've got to keep up and see where the times are and and keep on that side of things as well, where the performance is at this point in time? Yeah, I'm always a student of a sport that any athlete's in. So, you know, I've just picked up a young 13-year-old girl, tennis slash skier, um, you know, worked with her for a week and I've just told her all those things at 13. And, you yeah. know, I put the challenge out to her. She's never won. I said, well, you know, why can't you win? And she couldn't really tell me. I said, well, okay, you win this weekend, which was last weekend. This is after a week working with her and I'll reward you. And so um, she went out and won. <laughs> well, awesome. Little, little, little brat, she challenged her and she's already win, so I've got to find a new challenge for her now. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll introduce her to one of the Olympic skiers or, and boarders that I have. So yeah. it'll give her a huge thrill, and, but it gives them, you know, it's that, that mental push you have to give people and they have to be aware. So I want her to know everything. So, you know, if you don't know what's going on, then you no chance of being number one ever. Yeah. Tell me, Dita, does your uh, relationship extend beyond the athlete to the actual coaches or Swimming Australia, for example, because presumably you'd have to base your periodization yeah. based off the taper of the athlete and, and various things like that. So is, does it extend that far? Uh, no, it doesn't. The swimming world's a funny world where it's hmm. very insular. Um, I was a bit of an outsider in the swimming world um, because I thought very differently. And uh, I got results different to others, um, but I know when the guys have to peak in, so I know what I need to do to get them ready mm. um, and educate them. But swimming's still a very backward sport. There, you know, you've got guys, you know, swimming seventy k's a week for fifty meter race, which is just it's crazy, crazy. yeah, yeah. Um, and they're still doing it, and they still, you know, don't understand. And when you look at the best swimmers in the world, they're all jacked and ripped. And, yeah. um, you know, I had one national coach tell one of my boys that, you know, he's too heavy to swim, where he, where he went from 14% body fat to four um, and was four kilos lighter. And because <laughs> he, was, cause he, was, cause he looked muscly and not that normal fat swimmer, mm, yeah. um, he thought he was too big. He's like, well, he's actually four kilos lighter. So it's like, <laughs> it's still that... They're still very behind in the swimming world, and they're starting to catch up a little bit. But you know, if you look at the performance over the Olympics, the last couple of Olympics, the Australian team, it's not great. Yeah, I hear that from different coaches who work with athletes quite a lot about their respective sports that they're working in, and it's still uh, it's still a paradigm that blows my mind. Like in mm. the current day and Climate. age with the amount of information that's out there like if we're having this conversation now we're just two guys sitting in the studio who, yeah. who are pts how on earth are coaches managers at, Australia. at elite level sports not yeah. aware of this stuff you know it's you know it's one of those things that uh you got to be taken by a hand into a lot of these places and as long as you say yes to everything you get in if mm. you, you you know not part of the the system and the the boys club then you not look too well upon mm. because you go against the grain. And uh, just before we move on, uh, what about uh, 
genetics, mate. How, like, for my demographic, and this is you know something that Tommy and I have been discussing of late. I saw a, a great podcast that uh, Greg Knuckles did, and he was just talking about the influence of genetics. And you know, he was saying that it, it, you know, if after three to five years of of structured, consistent training, you're not anywhere near. Uh, you know a national record or, or uh, you know Olympic record time in, in whatever sport you're doing um, you know you pretty much you don't have the genetic uh, disposition to be uh, you know excel at that sport genetics uh, from, from your side of things do you also have to have that conversation with with uh, some of your athletes comes in and you know I want to be the you know he's got little narrow clavicles and terrible terrible aesthetics for a swimmer and he's like yeah i want to be uh you know butterfly a 50 meter butterfly uh, world champion it's like well dude yeah you know that just ain't gonna happen just structurally from a genetic uh, perspective you you just don't have what it takes do you uh have to be aware of that side of things yeah i've had that conversation with a couple of people I've had, uh, <laughs> of course you have i've had uh, yeah you know me Rodham. um <laughs> I had one girl that was wanted to be a swimmer. I said, do you want to be a swimmer or do you want to be an athlete? Because the girl was an athlete, but she wasn't a swimmer. So yeah. this is a young girl of 16, I think she was at the time. It never ran 10Ks before, but knocked out a 42-minute 10K, but could swim long distance. But uh, she wanted to be an Olympic swimmer. I said, well, you're not going to be an Olympic swimmer. Uh, I said, give me three months. I'll turn you into one of the best triathletes I know going around. But she wanted to be a swimmer. On the flip side, I had a swimmer um, go from swimming to rowing, and she went to Rio. So wow. because she wanted to be an athlete. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. So obviously, in your world, uh, genetics uh, play a, a significant uh, role in um, the success of an athlete. Oh, for sure. Like mm. you know, Grant Hackett's six five, but got a six eleven wingspan, yeah. which is which yeah. is tremendous for a swimmer. Yeah. You know, we were actually speaking about this uh, Sunday when we were training about Michael Phelps. He's yeah. got a he's got a big wingspan like Grant, but he's also got short legs, which makes him really good at butterfly and a big torso. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, he's built for swimming. You put him on the basketball court, it's a very different story. Yeah, yeah, very cool, man. Very cool. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, Rod and I were talking about that as well this morning, and it's at that elite level, you won't find anyone who's not a combination of all factors. Yeah. At, yeah, at the very top. Triple threat, Tommy, triple threat. Yeah. I guess program design is, uh, you know, we could spend a, a week talking about that, Dina, but if we take the example of the of the swimmer and we'll stick with that, what's, what does it kind of, what does a workout start to look like in maybe different phases of the preparation? You, you mentioned the volume of work that they're doing in the pool, even for a 50-meter uh, event. So how do you sort of balance out the amount of volume they do in the gym and what yeah, sort dude. of loads are you, are you working at? That kind of stuff. Yeah, so you know, with the with the swimmer, because they've done so much swimming at such such a young age. By the time they get to me, they've they're very much their posture is very out of whack. They're mm-hmm. very you know forward shoulders, um, tight pecs, all that. So every everything starts with you know one to two remedial phases. Depends on you know any bicep. Uh, impingement, shoulder injuries, all that sort of thing. And then, you know, we go into more of a, you know, a strength hypertrophy phase depending on the size of the athlete. Um, And so, you know, with some of the skinnier ones, which some of the swimmers tend to be, I tend to favour more of a um, high-volume rep sort of sets to give them, you know, that exposure to the strength training because they're so... um, ingrained in doing that endurance stuff in the pool yeah. so i want them to have that a bit more volume in the gym so they can get their muscles accustomed to that you know breaking down and then rebuilding and uh-huh. rather than just atrophy in the pool yep. uh, so yeah and then you know we're going through to competition so they'll have say you know queensland states in december january is uh big states and then end of Feb's usually New South Wales states and then you come into Olympic trials or Com game trials or whichever one it is so then you're you're building them to those so I always as I said work backwards so if someone needs to swim a sub 22 second 50 meter they need to be swimming you know you know at a certain level in December certain level in January certain level in February otherwise you know you sort of should be able to realize that your program's off yeah. To drop a second from uh, February to uh, March for Olympic trials is a big ask for an athlete, and it puts a lot of stress on them mentally because they know they're nowhere near it. Yeah. So, 
you know, a lot of it builds along those sort of lines where your programs are designing to, you know, put them through periods where they're hurting and uh, put them through periods where they're a little bit fresher. So that's the, the basis I, you know, do it on. Yeah. Um, and tell me, Dieter, just to jump in there, is, is one of your, if you had to, you know, describe your philosophy with, with the resistance training side of things, is it is it generally you'll always try and get a, a more muscular, leaner physique independent of the of the sport like your your philosophy knowing the human body and 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 strength and power development you know a, a leaner more muscular albeit you know not jack bodybuilder style muscular but but would it always be when you get an athlete be looking at building muscle to some degree and reducing body fat yeah none of my guys are ever over six percent if they're going to lead event yeah. um there's no point and you know this was one of the conversations that I had with my snowboarder um, probably five six years ago now he came in and I said man you're too light you're in a gravity sport you're downhill you need more muscle he was lean and there wasn't much of him but he wasn't big enough and he was getting pushed around on the course Mm. and he said no 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 this is this is my thing this is my thing he comes back after you know competing across Europe and us the year after because obviously that's the winter season in northern hemisphere yeah and he goes man i'm too light i said dude i told you that nine months ago you just wasted nine months of your career you should have listened in the first place but sometimes you have to learn it the hard way and there's not many sports where having muscle is a disadvantage Hmm. awesome and and why don't we segue slightly towards the nutritional side of things um now you're talking about building muscle i think most of our listeners would agree that that obviously calories and 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 nutrition are going to play a massive role in that how uh, do they have uh dietitians that they're working with like how do you orchestrate the the nutrition side of things to support the uh resistance training you're doing I, I normally do most of the nutrition. Um, yep. I think, as you said at the start, that I've worked with Charles and on Biosig and everything, so yeah, yeah. I'm pretty versed to the nutrition side of things. I'm, I'm, I'm very much a guidelines people. I don't normally tell them to weigh 200 grams of chicken or anything yeah. like yeah. that, especially for an athlete because their needs vary. So sometimes, you know, they've got a hard training load if they're training with me once a day and then got two of their sport trainings or you know, Cam the snowboarder, he's, you know, got six hours on snow, um, you know, their nutritional needs vary and it's the education side of things that you can get these athletes so they know when they eat what they're supposed to feel like afterwards. They know if they haven't eaten enough, they feel tired the next day. Um, They don't sleep well, you know, because, you know, you can't, I can't be there all the time and I can't spoon feed them and if I give them set, you know, amounts and they're away and I'm not there yeah. and they eat that and it affects their performance, then it, it screws up their, their career. So you, it's one of those things that teaching them's paramount. So they go, okay, well, he's taught me this, so I should probably have, you know, more carbs at dinner tonight or yeah. we didn't do much today, so I probably don't need to eat that or... Very you know, cool. I'm feeling a bit flat, so I have my cheat meal tonight instead of tomorrow night. Very you know, good. Those sort of things. Awesome, Dieter. And and uh, you mentioned the the, the biosig um, or bioprint. Do you uh, are you doing skin folds? To you mentioned all your athletes are, you know, when they get to that elite uh, um, events, they're you know sub six percent on average. Are you using uh, skin folds? Is that part of uh, what you do with your athletes? Yeah, all my athletes uh, would get tested on a Monday, um, so I'd make sure that they weren't misbehaving. And again, yeah. it comes down to that compliance and that coaching side of things that we spoke about earlier. So it's really, you know, it keeps in their head that they have to be on the ball, and I'll pick it up straight away. And you know, they know all the sites, they know what they mean. So it, it, again, it's that education. So because I teach them what they mean. They know if I pinch them and they're a little bit fatter, they know exactly what they've done and they know I know exactly what they've done. So it keeps that compliance really neat and tidy rather than just having someone that you don't tell anything and just go, okay, well, you're 8%, okay, you're 10%, you're 6%. And they really don't know what any of the sites mean. They think they've got a, you know, excessive calf fat and they're, they're worried that their world's going to fall apart because they ate three donuts. And it's like, well, no, it didn't really happen that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, further to that point, having 
a lean athlete that uh, has, you know, good levels of muscle mass and an education about what's actually going on with their yeah. physiology. When you get to competition days or, you know, a big swimming meet where they might be swimming multiple times in the day, um, when they're in that state, you can start tipping fuel into them and yeah. it does what it's supposed to do. It's more yeah. it's like your guys backstage. When the yeah. athlete's well-conditioned, mm. these transient changes in, in mm. weight or hydration mm. or energy levels, cognitive function, are, it's quite flexible and you can start playing with it. Definitely. Is, is there a bit that goes into um, competition day as well, Dita? Yeah, there is. You know, their food choices are obviously paramount, uh, you know, really to make them happy. So... You know, you really want to know what they enjoy eating because if I just tell them to eat a cup of broccoli, most athletes are going to tell me where to go and it's not <laughs> going to make them happy and perform well. So yeah, it, become, yeah. it goes back all to the mental side of thing as well. And it's hydration and that cognitive function. So, you know, things like the alpha GPC, so their mind's clear, they're ready to race, they're, they're not wandering around thinking, okay, where am I now? What am I doing? Mm. You know, because once, uh, you know, someone like, you know, swimmings are different. They jump in the water, they're okay, they can swim, nothing's going to happen. But Cam, when he's going 80 to 100 k's an hour down a snowboard uh, yeah. board across course with six other or five other guys competing for the one corner on a snowboard that's designed to go flat out without any brakes, he one mental slip and he breaks his arm again. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's the, the important side of things. And then with the altitude as well, with someone like Cam, it's you know, making sure his electrolytes are good and all those sort of things. Yeah. So it's a complex system, you know, and it's dependent on where they are. As I said, altitude changes everything. <laughs> very cool, very cool. And, and, and what if you, um, you know, if you had to uh, surmise your, your nutritional philosophies, I know um, uh, we've mentioned Poliquin, but uh, he's famous for it, but I, I actually implement uh, the these sort of uh, food choices with my athletes for the duration that I work with them, which will be up to ten months or so that, that I'll work with, with them for a show. But you know, I avoid gluten, dairy uh, across the board, and, and certain food choices outside of that as well. I, I guide them on. What about from your perspective, Dita? Do you have some some foundation nutritional philosophies where you do avoid some of those things? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Matt Target always started, you know, going gluten free about four months out from nationals. Um, he he found it worked really well for him. Interesting. And so yeah, so he would he would go right off it as much as he's got a uh, Eastern European background. So bread's a huge thing, um, but he always found that he felt better off it. So you know these guys, you know, again, it's that education side of things. So they know what they can get away with. Yeah. Um, so. You know, it's a little bit different with Cam. He's not so into it. Um, with you, uh, he loves his food. So yeah. it was providing that variety for him and giving him different because of movies that I haven't worked with on him, he was on chicken and broccoli. So I put chicken and broccoli in front of him and his whole demure goes south. Mm. He's like, I'm not again. So, um, yeah. you know, we, we used to be on private jets and we'd be flying and I'd be in charge of all the food and well, I wouldn't have to do it. I'd just have to tell someone, which was lucky for me. Yeah. Um, you know, but we'd have corn chips and guacamole and fruit and things like that. And, yeah. you know, it, it just makes people happy yeah. to eat something rather than a celery stick and a small bit of chicken. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, even... For Hugh, like, despite how low the body fat has to be, if he's doing all of that dancing and training mm -hmm. twice a day, there's still plenty of calories you can give him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he ate heaps and he loved it, mm. whereas usually he was starved. So I taught him a whole different, you know, way of living, mm. um, you know, food-wise and keeping lean. Otherwise, he was one of those guys that, you know, because of his skinny frame, he'd never look terribly fat, but, you know, he was one of those ones that can be, you know, possibly skinny fat, but now he's, you know, I saw pictures of him the other day in Bondi and uh, he still has his six-pack, six so he's doing something, right? So, so Something in the water in Sydney, clearly. Yeah. Um, 
What about uh, pathology work? I, I, I know, again, coming from uh, Charles's background, you must have over the years run pathology work for your athletes. Um, anything standardized? You get a new athlete on board. You're, you mentioned the, I think, food intolerances maybe with, with yeah. Hugh initially. Do you do any blood work or, and do you yeah, monitor so, blood work? Yeah, I find it's a bit harder to do here. Um, we did have a chat, Magdalena and I did have a chat with a guy um, in Melbourne the other day about it, um, doing some more here, and I've spoken to Christian Maurice about it. Yep. Um, in the US, it's much easier. So I have had my swimmers do full panels through Mark Schaus over there. Yeah. Uh, Hugh's obviously done some stuff as well. So, you know, it's one of those things that in the US it's more readily available. And obviously uh, Mark Schaus does a great job with his testing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I'd love to be able to do more. But, it, you know, I just don't see it. It's just not as readily and as, um, as good here as it can be in the US. Yeah, so you probably gravitate more towards those uh, sound nutritional practices and, and, and focus yeah. on all that stuff, I suppose. I, I know uh, Preston Green, we've, ha- we've had on, haven't we, Tommy, mm. uh, with the Florida Gators, and he, um, I think he does do pathology work with all his, and, and he gets quite, uh, quite uh, specific with his um, recommendations thereafter, but uh, he's getting some great results. So, yeah. you know, in a, in a perfect world, you'd probably have all that stuff done for your athletes too, yeah? Yeah, for sure. You know, and with our um, new company, Energy Four, and Magdalena's huge on gut health, so we do a lot on on gut health now with our clients to make sure that they're aware of yeah. they actually should have good gut health. And with stress and everything that people have these days, you know, athletes are no good with uh, all their anti-inflammatories and all those sort of things. Yeah. Mm. Um, but then, you know, your normal office work is no good with that either. Very cool. Dieter, if uh, if someone Google's you now, they'll get a um, they'll get an exclusive uh, trainer page, and they've got to actually uh, apply to getting to get a hold of you. But um, you mentioned uh, that's you personally, but you mentioned Energy yeah. Four, which is the new, new branding, branding of, the, of the facility down there in Melbourne, working with uh, Magdalena Lyle, of course, who's yep. um, a good friend of the podcast. So, do you want to talk us through what's uh, actually happening these days in the business side of things, and how people can get in in touch with you, and, and what's in store for the future? Yeah, Energy Fours, the uh, the gym that I had was Meister Athlete uh, has rebranded. Um, we're looking at doing, you know, some different things in the industry and, you know, giving some, you know, more information to clients rather than, you know, the normal gym where they go in and do their three sets of 12 or whatever it is. As I said, you know, Magdalena's big on gut health. So we're, we're you know, pushing the nutrition side as well as, you know, doing group classes where people are actually getting, you know, individual programs rather than just a one set thing, um, like a lot of the group programs that are around. So yeah. it's one of those it's one of those industries now where there's so much competition, um, but it seems to be so much little information given to the poor clients. So we're trying to do something a little bit different and, you know, educate people on what thing is, what everything is in regards to the body, whether it's training, nutrition, um, whether it's to do with their corporate um, side of life or their, their basic family lifestyle. So awesome. instead of uh, them Googling it or, you know, finding, you know, the latest Instagram model saying she eats three grapes for breakfast and that's <laughs> a healthy breakfast, um, we're trying to give them real information. That's yeah. probably the biggest difference that Energy 4 is going to bring to clients. Absolutely awesome. And what about your side of things, mate, specifically? Are you the doors open for the next uh, Hugh Jackman or uh, Grant Hackett coming through the ranks? Yeah, I've got a, a you know very promising, I think I mentioned before, a 13-year-old girl coming through. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've got uh, another young swimmer that I've rehabbed from shoulder injuries. He's, you know, showing a lot of promise after being out of the water for three years. So, yeah, so it's one of those things. And, you know, the U.S. is always there. Um, in the background and you know I've got my contacts over there so whether I'm on that next movie on the plane tomorrow which is generally how it happens or yeah. next year we'll see what happens awesome absolutely awesome that's cool some good stories to tell that's for sure yeah yeah all right, Dieter, well, mate, thanks so much for your time. It was an absolute pleasure to have a chat with you today. And um, uh, from my perspective, great just to learn a little bit more about what actually w- what you do and what goes yeah. on down there. It's um, really, really fascinating, mate. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your time, boys. Love the podcast. Keep a good work up. Thanks, Dieter. I'll talk to you soon, mate. Right, I'll catch you, boys. Thanks, Thank Dieter. You. Bye. See you, bye.
Yeah, well, I don't know about you, Rodden, but I really enjoyed that conversation. I think um, Look, I can th- see how, apart from the, the technical knowledge and the prowess and mm. nutrition and all that, you can tell how a young athlete coming in contact with Dieter mm. and that wealth of, of experience mm. and, and just confidence in what he's doing can really influence the, the, the trajectory of someone's uh, career. I think he's uh, and, like a great coach. And, and, and I dare say that would uh, heavily influence the psychology of the, the athlete as yes. well, you know, knowing that you had someone in your corner that was that comprehensive. And, and I really like the fact that he um, you know, actually will go and watch them perform and, yep. uh, and and actually sit in the crowd and uh, be a spectator to see. Analyze you know, the, a, a, the sport analyze, the activity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Really cool. Uh, I think a lot to be learned there from uh, Dieter. And, uh, you know, flying under the radar for probably too long. I think he's uh, he's on the verge of getting amongst it and, and making himself a little more vocal in the industry, which mm. uh, I think will be embraced by many. Yeah, worthy. Awesome. Uh, so there he was, Dieter Roylands down there in Melbourne, uh, working closely alongside with uh, another friend of the podcast, Magdalena Lyle. G'day, Mags. The, the, the lovely Magdalena. FST, if you, if you if you want a stretch that you'll never forget, make sure you give her it. She's very good at what she does. Yes, excellent. So there we have it. That's another episode of the podcast. Once again, Charles Poliquin no longer with us, but um, yep. his legacy will live on. Rorden, if people want to get in contact with you, there's some Just comps and stuff coming up soon. Like We've like, got nationals in a few weeks that'll yeah. be done and dusted. And then uh, then Arnold's, yeah, so if you're interested, hit me up. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook. Yeah, me, uh, what am I, tomhewitt.com.au, something of that nature. And Cam, anything from you? Nope, that's, nah, a, that's a nod, that's a sideways shake of the head, so yeah. All right, have a lovely day and we'll see you next time on Under the Bar Podcast. Mm-hmm.